Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Hello and welcome to this second Halloween special episode of the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorta Dunbar and I hope everyone is well. Now, you may have already uh, heard um, or listened to our first Halloween special, which was my interview with the developers Party for Introverts, and we spoke about their upcoming vampire game, Cabernet, where you play as a vampire and need to decide, uh, well, how will you be? Will you go full vampire or will you try and keep your instincts in check? And also we spoke about so many origins of that game and... Uh, had a really, really fun time talking to them, so you can check that out. That is available right now. Uh, but today, I am going to be taking a deep dive into one of the most talked about horror adventure games, and that is the Sierra Classic from Roberta Williams herself, Phantasmagoria. Yes, indeed, Phantasmagoria, when it was released in 1995, was one of the most controversial games to be released that year, and one of Sierra's most controversial games to be released as well. Uh, so I'll be taking a deep dive into this game. I will start off by giving a background to the origins of this game, how it was created. I will also be talking about how it was filmed and how it was made. And then I'll be giving a non-spoiler review, so up until then I'll try and avoid spoilers as much as possible. Yes, I know it's about 30 years old, but I know some people still haven't played it. So um, if you still haven't played it, that should be okay. Uh, then I'll, very, I'll give a quick spoiler-filled recap, and I'll give my impressions of it as well. I'll talk about the ending of the game, and then for Patreon subscribers, I'll be giving my... Top five, top 5 or top 10, my favourite uh, murders that occur in the game, and my favourite deaths, not in real life, that's horrible in real life of course, but it is a horror game, and there are some gruesome deaths in this game, so I'll be giving my own thoughts and my favourite deaths in that game. Um, and saying why as well for Patreon subscribers as well. So if you want the full uh, full experience, you can check us out on patreon.com forward slash adventure games podcast. But there's also something for here for everyone as well. Um, so, and the sources, the information where I'm getting this information from is online. It is also the official Sierra guidebook of Phantasmagoria, which had interesting tidbits and my own conversations with Roberta Williams and uh, David Lee Holm, who played uh, the character Don, who is the husband of the main character, Adrienne, in this game. So, uh, so before we get into all of that, here is a trailer for Phantasmagoria. Come. Come here. 
Hello? Is there somebody there? In 1992, Ken and Roberta Williams were in Phoenix on a business trip, but unfortunately, Roberta Williams got quite ill with a bad case of the flu. So while Ken went to the business meetings by himself, Roberta stayed in the hotel room trying to recover. Now, on this business trip on while she was in the hotel room, she had a planned phone interview with journalist Russ Sacola. Now, Russ is a horror aficionado, and during this interview, they got to speaking about horror and adventure games. Um, now, it was then that Roberta Williams got the idea for making a horror adventure game. Now, Roberta was never really a huge fan of horror in or horror movies or horror games or horror movies, but she had a passing interest. And Roberta's always looking to do something new. At the time, she was best known for a King's Quest series, which were the, as everyone knows, I'm sure, the fantasy uh, series that was uh, suitable for all the family. She had also made a Colonel's Bequest, which was a murder mystery. Um, so it's not completely outside the realms for her. She That game did get quite dark, and there's quite a little bit of death and murder there as well. But it wouldn't be classified as horror. So she began to toy around with this idea of making a horror game back in 1992 and she came up with the idea for a series of horror stories called scary tales and in one of these scary tales um, the main character becomes an assistant for a magician but he turns out to be insane Uh, another one is set in the past and involves another female protagonist uh, who was involved in Supernatural, uh, and again it involved a magician character. Um, and she kept toying around with these ideas. She was reading more horror stories, watching more horror movies, and she was reading some Stephen King, uh, watching some uh, Edgar Allan Poe and Halloween. Uh, she recruited uh, director Andy Hoyos, who was uh, like Rosecolo, Secola, rather, uh, he was another horror aficionado. So together, they came up with the idea for Phantasmagoria. So... Roberta Williams and Andy Hoyo spent the next two months writing the story and fleshing out the, the script, no pun intended, and they ended up writing 
253-page, uh, 748-scene script, which is almost twice as long as a typical Hollywood script. Uh, this was also the first time that Sierra wrote the script for their games as a film script rather than as, uh, as a script for a game. And so once they finished it, uh, then they had to go about creating it. And they wanted to make it as an FMV, which was all the rage back at that time. Uh, so how they did this, it, I don't really understand it all myself. But from what I've read is, first of all, they got Bill Crow, who's the studio director and video producer supervisor involved. Um, and they realized that for the scale of the production, they couldn't work in their studios. So they built a multi-million dollar studio in their hometown of Oakhurst, California, just for this game, just so they could film the scenes in this game um, because they, they couldn't do it in their own studio. Now, the way that they created it, Bill Crow, uh, he supervised the creation of a network that linked five computers. These computers, they controlled uh, background pictures and a slate, that lists the scene to the server that stores uh, things like the ultimate system that composites all the video elements and then replaces the blues in the video with the computer generated graphics from the Sierra's artist. So this was made entirely in a blue screen and that's how they did it. Then the whole show and everything was run from a control room that overlooks the blue hued cove in which the filming takes place. Now, as I said, I don't particularly understand all of that but it is whatever your thoughts on the on the final game it is extremely press impressive how they went about creating the game and making the game and it's truly fascinating that how they went above and beyond to make this game look and feel and play as best as they could using the most uh, up-to-date technology that they could in fact Andy Hoyer said in the uh, Sierra official guidebook for Phantasmagoria that it was decided early on to employ Silicon Graphics workstation technology with alias software to create the desired Phantasmagoric effects and these effects were used in films such as Jurassic Park, Terminator 2 and The Lawnmower Man. Now while those movies had a considerably higher budget than Phantasmagoria it is clear that Sierra were using the top of the line special effects and graphics that they could use at that time um so when the film crew itself now the film crew there's about over 200 people overall who worked on the game but there's only about five people on set while they were making the game and they sierra realized robert williams realized early on that they needed um, veteran director so they hired a well-known experienced director Peter Maris out of Hollywood and they hired Mark uh, Seibert as a co-producer and uh, musician and he helped Roberta Williams cast the characters so the cast the actors including David Miano who go on to play the uh, villain of the game uh, set in the, um, in the past in this game as the as the magician and um, including the other characters 25 uh, professional actors in total were cast and ironically David Lee Holm and Victoria Mansell 
uh, Victoria Morsel rather, were the two final actors to be cast uh, in their roles and final uh, the two final actors who uh, auditioned. Now, Victoria Morsel was actually hired uh, not by Roberta Williams, but by Mark Seibert. Roberta Williams was on ho- holiday at the time and Seibert saw her audition and he was delighted with it. So he immediately selected her for the part. Now, Roberta Williams uh, initially wasn't too happy about this, but when she saw her um, and she worked with her, she realized then that she was the correct choice for the part. So once filming began, the cast and crew worked 12 hour days for six days a week for over three months in the summer of 1994. Now the cast uh, had difficulty at some challenges uh, filming in the game because they were all more used to filming in real locations with real objects mainly but this as I said was made uh, with blue screen and it was designed using different effects that I mentioned briefly earlier on so they did find it uh, quite challenging at times. Um, Victoria Mantle herself said it was particularly challenging. She was the main character. She was in every scene and she does basically everything. And to get her to to be controlled and moved by the character, she would have to do certain actions uh, repeatedly again and again in slightly different ways and then stand a certain way um, so that it would work as an interactive video game. Now, things that the crew did is they painted the objects like tables and chairs and doors in this game. They painted them as blue so that they would coincide with the blue screen and this would make it uh, more uh, easier for the actors. Um, There were a couple. uh, Now, it was a challenging uh, process as well. Um, they used some real objects. So, for example, uh, Sierra, they used a forklift to simulate um, Victoria's character going up and down on a type of lift in the game. Um, they, uh, they also, there was a chase scene that was that appears throughout the, on the end of the game. And this took an entire week to film. And uh, David Holm uh, wore a prosthesis on prosthesis on his face to simulate wounds, um, and it's particularly gruesome. Now they only had one type available, so it it went got into such bad shape towards the end. Uh, he even wasn't allowed to. He went to a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant down the road, but he wasn't allowed to film to uh, to go there. A couple of times, he forgot to take off the prosthesis, and um, so he wasn't allowed to, to go there because of that. Victoria also mentioned that uh, during one scene towards the end, uh, when she's strapped in a chair and they had to. Um, redo this to to create the scene over and over again and she had to scream and scream again she did say she found it difficult getting into that state and getting to that emotion again which was quite challenging Uh, so there were some a number of challenges for the actors but eventually filming was finished in August 1994 and then they had to, well, create the effects. And as I mentioned, they used that technology that I mentioned and which I honestly don't really understand too much myself. But after the filming, 
the developer, the programmers then had to integrate the more than 1,000 backgrounds with the video, animation, sound effects, and the music, which I'll talk about now in just a second. Uh, so they sometimes the 3D rendered objects had to be painstakingly placed into video files frame by frame and the team that was led by uh, Doug Oldfield um, were able to in the end solve these tricky issues. Now the game's music as mentioned before was done by was composed by Mike Mark Seibert. Uh, Jay Uzer also helped out with the musical score and Neil Grandstaff provided additional music. Uh, the opening theme of the song was, which we heard at the beginning of this episode, was a Neo-Gregorian chant and this was performed in the studio by a 135 voice choir. And actually the music was the first time that Sierra recorded the music live rather than created on a computer. Now, the uh, musician, they, uh, the composers, they deliberately saved the most intense music for the final chapter of, the, of Phantasmagoria. They also made use of silence in many scenes to help build up tension for a pounce effect. And uh, so this would catch the listener by surprise. And then during some of the chasing, particularly the chase scene at the end, they used drums and low strings that are used in the score to simulate a heartbeat and it grows louder and louder during the more dangerous moments. Now, after multiple delays, the game was originally supposed to be released in um, late 1993 or 1994, but then uh, Sierra realized that it still needed some polish. So they asked the actors to come back to film reshoots um eventually the game was released on the 24th of august So, as mentioned earlier, Phantasmagoria was eventually released after numerous delays on August 24, 1995. It initially had a budget of about $800,000, but it ultimately cost $4.5 million to develop. And uh, But thankfully for Sierra, it was its biggest grossing game. It made a massive $12 million in its opening weekend and became one of the best-selling games of 1995. It uh, it debuted at number four in PC Data in August 1995, and it sold 300,000 units during its first weekend of release. 
Um, now, by the end of December, it remained at number three among overall software and number one among computer games. By January, it was estimated uh, as many as 500,000 copies had been sold. Now, Sierra then went on to say that its global sales surpassed 600,000 units by March 1996. Now, the game earned mixed reviews when it was initially released, with people praising its uh, graphics in particular and its suspense, but they praised, or, but they criticized the fact that it was very easy, and it certainly was probably considered the easiest of Sierra games at the time it was released, um, with people complaining that the puzzles were easy, that it was very linear, and that it was. The story was also had very slow pacing. Now I'll give my own thoughts on this game in more detail in just a second. Um, but it still it still did as I said it sold pretty well but got uh, mixed reviews. It also earned quite a bit of controversy, as I'm sure many people are aware. There, well, first of all, there was a lot of violence in this game, particularly towards the end, with some very gruesome images that uh, that happened and there is also a rape scene uh, in this game uh, this caused quite a bit of controversy with some uh, with some retailers refusing to sell the game uh, although Walmart continued to do so uh, it was also up in Congress as an example of, uh, of violent video games um, and uh, yeah people wanted this to want people to censor the company um, now ultimately this didn't affect sales of the game but one of the interesting things that Sierra did is that they self-censored they have a censoring option and initially uh, it's password protected if you type in a password it will censor some of the most violent scenes uh, it will blur them and you can still hear the action but you can't see it uh, so this was uh, Sierra who said that they were probably the first company to self-censor their own game. Uh, although that didn't really uh, matter to these critics. Um, and uh, Sierra also said that this game was intended from the very beginning for adults and not for, uh, not for children. Uh, so ultimately, um, the... This helped the company stock go up, um, and it continued to rise after it was released. Um, and uh, it also now afterwards, um, Roberta Williams went back to making uh, King's Quest. Sierra then released *The Beast Within*, a Gabriel Knight mystery, which used uh, similar, the same technology and similar Hollywood techniques. And they also made this on a blue screen. Arguably, that's probably more effective, but um, certainly Phantasmagoria was a pioneer in this case. Um, now, Phantasmagoria didn't initially have, um, probably didn't get as much credit as it probably deserved for its technology because it was released around the same time as Wing Commander 3 and Under a Killing Moon um, because of its delays. And uh, Sean Clark, who was a project leader at LucasArts, 
Uh, he feared that the success of Phantasmagoria would set a bad precedent that software companies would think they would need huge budgets and many discs to have a successful game rather than focusing on quality. Now, Phantasmagoria was released on a massive seven discs at the time. Luckily, there were seven chapters, so each disc had its own chapter. So, after this game was released, uh, there was a sequel, Phantasmagoria Puzzle of Flesh. Uh... Roberto Williams went back to King's Quest. He made, well, the ill-fated King's Quest 8. Um, and, well, what about Phantasmagoria 3? Um, well, she has said she's open, but certainly does know, know that there is a little bit of talk about that now. Uh, can Roberto Williams have just come back uh, earlier this year to release um, Colossal Cave? So we shall see what happens. Um, I still yet to play the sequel, Phantasmagoria of Puzzle of Flesh, but I hope to do so very soon. But, uh, but yeah, now, uh, before we get to the review, I just want to give some, uh, some interesting facts that I read about the making of this game that I think people will find interesting. So there were some fun little tidbits that I found out about this game. Um, and first of all, one thing that I found to be quite uh, funny. Well, first of all, if you play the game, uh, you will probably notice that uh, Adrienne, she never changes uh, different clothes. She has an orange top and a black trousers. And the reason for this is because these colors match well with the blue background. So they decided to keep, uh, to keep with these colors. But if you look closely when Adrienne is uh, bending over to look at keyholes, uh, you can see that her pants are patched. Now, she liked these black pants. They worked well, as I said, for the blue screening filming process. But they couldn't find another pair anywhere as backup. So, Victoria Morcel had to wear the same black pants throughout the filming over the, the three or four months. And as a result, due to wear and tear, they would have to be repeatedly patched up during the course of the shoot. So I'm sure that was a lot of fun for her. Victoria and David Lee Holm also began dating in real life about a week into filming this game. And Roberta Williams, she has since said that she wishes that she had added more scenes of Adrian and Dawn as a normal, happy, loving couple before things went absolutely haywire for the couple, uh, in the game at least. Um, 
She also worried that the players would not understand why Adrian loves him so much and decides to fight for him. Um, now, David Lee Holm has since also written a book of poetry, uh, Wake I Dream, which is written from the point of view of his character, Don, after he is possessed. And now I haven't read the book myself, but it has got some fantastic reviews. And if you want to hear more about that, you can listen or watch my interview with David. Uh, and he reads out some passages from it as well. Now, there were uh, some times as well when the local fire department had to help out on the shoot. Uh, they uh, let the studio an industrial smoke inhalation fan to keep fumes from a diesel forklift away from the cast and crew during the secret passage lift scene. So this was the forklift that simulated Victoria going up and down in the lift. Um, now, they also filmed the scene in which um, Karnovac, uh, Zoltan Karnovac, the main villain of the game, uh, went, spoiler, there's a scene where his head is set on fire. So the crew burned a dummy that they moved from underneath to make it look like a real person while the fire department stood by ready to douse the flames if they got out of control. And towards the end of the game, uh, there is a scene where Adrienne has to uh, climb on a pipe. She has to shimmy her way across the pipe to the other side that there is a big hole underneath. Um, and so what the crew did is they set up scaffolding to represent the pipe. Uh, Victoria Marcel wanted the scene shot on a real pipe because she wanted to do it herself. Uh, unlike other action scenes in the game that use walkers, which are common actors and movements of morsels set against different backgrounds. Um, there was, um, they, there's also a scene where there are photos of Adrienne where she is headless and the crew actually had, um, <laughs> had a lot of fun with this. There had some dark humor when they're ripping off photos of, uh, of Adrienne. They were saying, she loves me, she loves me not, as they merely tore the tops of the pictures. Uh, now, in the game, uh, David Lee Holm only ripped up a couple of them, and Victoria Morcel gave a few of them to her mother. <laughs> uh, so, um, and as well, as mentioned, they filmed for a long time, but uh, they, all the crew developed a close bond because they spent so long together. And you can see that in subsequent interviews. When I spoke to David, he had nothing but praise for the crew, for Roberta and Victoria as well. And Roberta as well. Roberta Williams has also said that this is the game that she's most proud of making and that best represents her work. Uh, and finally, um, the actor who played uh, Karen, the main villain, uh, he also worked with Peter Maris before, so this was uh, so there were no strangers to working together. Uh, so that's just a few tidbits of the game, um, and now I'm going to first of all give a non-spoiler review and my own thoughts on this game.
So in Phantasmagoria, you play as Adrienne, who is a successful novelist. Uh, her husband is Don, who is a photographer. And he finds this house um, that is in a remote area. It's a massive house. It's a massive mansion uh, off the coast of a small New England island. Uh, it was previously owned by famous 19th century magician Zoltan Karno Karnovach. Uh, all his five wives died mysteriously. But hey, it, a bargain is a bargain. So he buys a house for Adrienne and they move in and she hopes to find inspiration for her new novel. And Don uh, continues with his, photograph uh, with his photography. Uh, so when they move in, uh, the first couple of chapters, Adrienne then wanders around the house and she finds some secrets. It, it, it is one of the weirdest houses that I've ever seen. And honestly, if you see this, if this house existed in real life, I would say stay well away. It's clearly bad things happen in this house and are probably going to continue happening in this house. But hey-ho. So she goes, she finds a secret chapel and there is an altar and there's a locked box and she opens this locked box and wouldn't you know it a demon then flies out but it doesn't possess her it goes and possesses poor don uh don then starts acting strange um, and very violent and aggressive and adrienne doesn't know why so she then has to go meet some of the local townspeople, uh, explore some more of the house to see if they, she can help Don find out what's wrong with him, then to see if she can help release the demon. To do that, she'll f need to find out more about Carno and how exactly his five wives died. So uh, what are my thoughts on this after I just played it? Uh, first of all, the, the story. And... Um, I mean this in the best possible way. It's a load of old hooey. It's a load of old nonsense. It really is. But I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. Um, it, it's it's fun. Um, it, it's not particularly the best written uh, game of all time. But it is fun. And I know... So people did have issues with the game. People did have issues, first of all, that it's very slow at the very beginning, certainly. And I can certainly understand, and I do agree to a certain point, but I didn't mind this so much. I enjoyed exploring the house. I enjoyed uh, getting to know Don and Adrienne. And I enjoyed um, exploring the, the town there as well, the new Possumit, uh, and meeting some of the people they're in that town uh and so i didn't really have it is a bit slow at times uh there, there is um there is one nearly chapter where you have to buy i believe some cleaning potion and you just wish that it had okay maybe speed up a little bit and then it just goes nuts and uh, the final few chapters uh which were mostly a lot of fun um so yeah it's not the best written game of all time but it was a lot of fun and um, and I I did enjoy the story and the storytelling as well. Uh, you do find out more and more about Carno and about his life and about what happened. Um, and I thought that part was well told. Um, now, does it work as a horror? Now, someone, can't remember who, but someone said that 
Phantasmagoria, and I'm uh, paraphrasing, someone said a pa- Phantasmagoria was a um, horror game designed by someone who doesn't uh, watch horror movies. And I think that's a little bit unfair. I think that, uh, first of all, Roberta Williams, she did work with Andy Hoyos, as I said, who was a horror aficionado. It works in on some levels as a horror. First of all, it has the Haunted Mansion, check. It has gore, certainly later on in the game, check. Um, it does have some suspense, but I think that this is kind of where the, the game falls down a little bit, because I didn't really find it all that suspenseful. Certainly towards the end, it does. But throughout the game, when it's supposed to be suspenseful towards the beginning, I didn't find it all that, certainly compared to maybe modern games. Um, but uh, so, so I think on the psychological level, suspenseful level, it didn't work as well for me. But yeah, certainly gore fans will be happy towards the end. There are quite a few deaths and murders in the game that just go um, a bit crazy. Um, but the game wasn't hugely long. It took me about eight, nine hours on GOG, so it wasn't too long. It didn't feel too long. Um, so plot-wise, uh, overall, I can say I liked it. Um but yeah, I would have liked maybe a bit more suspenseful throughout the game. I can see that they tried to do it, but it did work in other ways. Now, with the characters, um, yeah, I think that uh, Adrienne is a particularly well-written character. I And there so, seems to be so similarities with her and Roberta Williams. And I think that uh, Victoria Mansell does a you know, pretty good job. She She's funny, she's charming, she has a sense of humour. There was a scene earlier on in the game where uh, Don is fixing a pipe and then she just turns the water on him. Um, and, you know, things like that. And then I think... Um, and she, she is a very likeable character and this is because of the way she's written and the way she's acted as well. Um, and Don as well, you can see at the beginning that uh, he's a nice guy and then, well, the player knows why he becomes aggressive and violent, but Adrian's trying to figure out uh, why. And she also is a strong person. She's uh, she's also caring because, well, she's trying to help her husband um, later on in the game as well. Uh, so I liked uh, the two main characters and that really helped uh, me like this game and the story in particular. Um, now, I've mentioned the, the graphics, I've mentioned uh, the special effects, um, and as I said, I think no matter what you think of the game itself, I think it's extremely impressive how this game is made, that Sierra went all out building a multi-million dollar studio using the same technology that was used in, as I said, Jurassic Park and Terminator, and just going all out. Now, it sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. First of all, there are, I mean, I think certainly compared to nowadays in the year 2023, it does probably look a little bit dated at times. Um, that you can tell, first of all, it's not in a, they're not real locations. Um, and at first, it does take a little bit of getting used to. Um, and when you see that some of the objects or some of the things that, and you're questioning, is it real? Is it real location? And when you compare certainly some FMV games now where everything can be shot on real sets and now you can, sometimes you can't tell, you know, interactive films and non-interactive films, 
But you do have to understand this was made 30 years ago and this was top of the line certainly back then. Uh, so some of the effects do look a little bit dated. Uh, but I also have to say that some of the effects are pretty good. Um, there are There's one effect from uh, Fortune Teller um, that I thought looked pretty good. Uh, there is, and again, don't want to give too many spoilers, but one of the effects of, um, of, a, of a monster in the game, uh, that I thought looked pretty good. A um, little bit dated compared, but again, for the time, it looks uh, pretty good. And I did get used to it. I did get used to the graphics, to the effects. Um, it would be better to film in like relocations, probably, but then um, would you be able to build a real house like that? You could certainly um, be more creative, certainly Roberto Williams and Andy Hoyos with the design uh, when it's not real locations. So overall, it worked. I can see why, I can see that the money was definitely spent on the effects and, um, and the graphics of this particular game. Uh, even though it does look a little bit dated, um, but yeah, it's it still worked for me overall. Uh, so, okay, so we, now we get to the let, let's let's talk about some of the acting. Okay, so the acting, as I said, the actors found it challenging to um, to perform because they were they were more used. They were professional actors. They were experienced actors. They were more used to perform on real locations, and they weren't used to performing in front of a blue screen and I think you can kind of tell I think the best thing you could say that this is really like a cheesy B movie um the acting overall it, I have to say it isn't great now Victoria Morcel I think does a very good job overall I think uh, she is in every scene and so thankfully she is pretty good as I said she before she's very likable she's very charming she's funny uh she can be strong when she needs to be uh she's scared when she needs to be there is some overacting but again it there's a b movie b horror movie uh but she was pretty good and then uh, her husband uh, played by David Lee Holm uh I thought he was okay he wasn't in it a huge amount uh and he certainly hams it up towards the end where he goes a bit well his character goes a bit crazy um but uh i thought he was fine as well i thought that he he was a lot of fun and the two of them they do have um a lot of chemistry and as i mentioned they were both dating in real life during the filming so um so i think that probably helped uh as some of the other actors were good the actor who played malcolm the old guy who knew carno um, he gives a very good, quiet, understated performance. And some of the NPCs, um, again, they're they're okay. I do have to say that there were some characters, the, the actors who played Harriet and Cyrus, I found them extremely cringy and just not very good. It was, unfortunately, it was a bit painful for me to listen to, if I'm honest. And, and I think this was a combination of possibly the acting, the direction, and the writing. I just didn't like those characters. And the first scene we see them in where Harriet, the mother of Cyrus, is stuck in the in the loft, in the barn, and she, you're trying to help her out. And I just thought that whole scene was extremely cringe-worthy and just... I, I just didn't like it. These two characters didn't work uh, for me at all, unfortunately. I didn't laugh. I didn't think that they were good comic relief. I wasn't even laughing at them. I just didn't want them on the screen, unfortunately. Now, there are 
from what I've heard, good actors in other things. They've done pretty well. And uh, the actor who plays Cyrus, I w- I've uh, heard he's gone on to make a pretty good career for himself in acting. Um, but uh, but yeah. And then there's another guy who played uh, Phil Repairman. I can't remember his name. Um, but again, he's, uh, you know, the charming, uh, handsome guy who comes in and who flirts with, um, with Adrienne. Uh, won't spoil yet what happens to him, but uh, he was he gives a good understated performance as well. Um, and yeah, so overall, maybe not the best acting, but it it was okay. It's better than other FMV games, and we've seen later on uh, people like Christopher Walken, um, who uh, weren't uh, great, shall we say, in interactive FMV games. But yeah, so it it was still a lot of fun. And now about. The gameplay, because this is a part of the game that had received particular focus when the game was released and some criticism. Uh, so this this is a point and click game. You literally point and click. You have a cursor. When it hovers over a hotspot or an exit, it turns red. And um, it is pretty easy to use. And this was criticized at the time. Now, many people... There is also, uh, so there is manual save, but there's only one bookmark. You can only save uh, on one occasion each time, only one save slot. Um, And then there is an in-game hint system. So if you click on the button in the game, then you can uh, get some in-game hints that will tell you where it will direct you to what you need to do. Uh, It's, it's, so, so... Regarding the gameplay, and also as I mentioned, there is a sensor that uncensored. Thankfully now, at least in the version that I played, you can just tick or untick uh, whether you want a censored version or an uncensored version. I click, I click the sens- uh, uncensored version, uh, but if you are concerned about any of that, um, then you can um, uh, click the uncensored version or the censored version if you wish. So, yeah, I can understand people's complaints, first of all, that it there aren't a huge amount of puzzles. And keep in mind that before this game had been released, Sierra were well known for making challenging, difficult games with difficult puzzles. And Roberta Williams in particular with King's Quest um, had some very difficult puzzles in in those games. Uh, But it's clear that uh, Roberta Williams wanted to make the story focused um, now, she also wanted to add some gameplay, so she didn't want this just to be a, an interactive movie. Um, I think she succeed. they succeed okay. Uh, the game is easier, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that this is, for the most part, a pretty good thing. Uh, that you, you know, there aren't any crazy illogical puzzles in this game. Now, some of the puzzles mightn't be the most inventive. A lot of times it's, uh, you wander around the house, you click on objects, you pick up items, and then you use items on other items, and then you go to town, you speak with characters, um, you have to get past a dog on one occasion, um, and uh, so you have to get an item, use that item with the dog. And so there's nothing particularly, I suppose there's nothing particularly memorable in a great way puzzle-wise, but neither is there anything that is particularly bad or terrible. Uh, I personally like it that the focus was more on the story. I think they made the right decision in this case, and I think right at this time in 1995, you could see that developers, well, the adventure game genre was changing, and the developers like Sierra, LucasArts, Revolution at the time of Broken Sword, they were making their games 
easier or certainly fewer illogical puzzles, which I think is a good thing. And I think it was overall, it was good that they focused more on story over puzzles. So I didn't have a problem that the puzzles were relatively uh, easy. Um, what I did have an issue with uh, in the game, however, is that th th there wasn't a huge amount of direction. There were times when you know, okay, you need to go to town and you need to let's speak with these characters and let's do this. But a lot of the time you are aimlessly wandering around the house and the town. And the game is very linear. So if you haven't found this object or spoken to this character, the game will not continue. And so a lot of the time you go, at least I was going around uh, the house and the town trying to trigger the next cutscene, trying to continue uh, to the next section of the game. And this was a problem with adventure games in general back then. Uh, you didn't get a huge amount of direction. And I believe this was one of the reasons why adventure games lost popularity or quote-unquote died in the mid to late 90s. Uh, because it's not really a lot of fun just trying to figure out what to do. It's, uh, it's just trying to wander around the house and wander around the town not knowing what to do. Um, it really isn't a lot of fun. Now, thankfully, you do have an in-game hint system, which I think the few times that I used it was pretty good. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think so what I think would have made this game better is if you had had more clearer objectives, but then you would have had to decide how to achieve them. So again, okay, you need to talk to this character, but they won't talk to you. And then you need to figure out, okay, how do you uh, do this? Or how do you go to this location? Something like that. So I think overall it's good that the focus was on the story, um, but I would have liked a little bit more direction, a little bit more objectives, and then, um, and then, yeah. But overall, I thought this was a better design game than a lot of Sierra's early games. And again, this I don't know how controversial this might be, uh, but for me, a lot of Sierra's early games, currently, these days, they're borderline unplayable. I and mean, the early King's Quest, the early Space Quest, the Police Quest, they have illogical puzzles, dead ends, unfair deaths that I don't think you could expect people to play and enjoy them nowadays. And I don't think they've aged particularly well. And I do think that nostalgia is a big factor in people enjoying those games. And this isn't, this isn't meant to criticize Sierra because, you know, I've spoken to Ken and Roberto Williams and they're lovely people and definitely, you know, their games are very, very important to the industry. Um, but I think this game in particular, there was a shift, beginning of a shift to better game design, even if it's still not perfect. But I think this design is definitely better than a lot of their early games. And the last thing I say with the in-game hint system is for people, developers nowadays, who want to make their games retro and to say, oh, look, we want to make our game exactly as they were back in 1990. So we want to make the puzzles as difficult, as challenging as possible. No in-game hint system. Well, this game had it. It had easy puzzles and an in-game hint system. So there you go. And uh, and yeah, and then the uh, the music. Well, you heard it in this episode a few times and you heard the Neo-Gregorian chant. It's fantastic. I loved it. I loved the music. I think this is where they really, really succeeded um, in this game. Uh, it was absolutely uh, fantastic. Um, and it's a joy to listen to. And I, and I enjoyed the song towards the end as well. Uh, now, before I get to the spoilers, I um, just want to say as well that there, there, 
there is uh, a chasing towards the end and it also succeeds in the sense that it is very intense but then it can also be quite frustrating and then it removes the the previous save games you cannot go back before the um, this chasing and if you miss an object you have to try and go back to get that object while you're being chased which is what happened to me um but it's still possible and it's still kind of a puzzle um i there was a bit of trial and error i did quit and i was going to just watch the ending on youtube but then i went back and i figured out how to get back and there it, it, it is clever as well because uh it was kind of like you're trying to play tricks on the person chasing you uh, that i would go to a location and then i would go back to the previous location and try to outsmart that person sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't it got frustrating at times but it was also intense and then once you figure it out you do get that aha moment so uh overall it okay that was probably better uh that was that was probably good more than bad but yeah both intense and frustrating i would say uh but still overall quite well designed as well so so yeah so overall my thoughts on this are it's before i get to the spoiler section of this uh of, of this review um it was yeah overall i enjoyed it. it is cheesy it is like a b movie some of the graphics are dated some of the acting uh a lot of it isn't particularly great um neither is you know the writing it is a typical b movie cheesy horror game uh, but it is a game that is still played, still remembered. I think it has, hasn't has dated as badly as a lot of games from that era. Um, you can still play it on GOG. So while I don't think it's going to uh, win any Game of the Year awards, um, and I did find some of the design frustrating, as I said, overall, I had fun with this game. I quite enjoyed it. Uh, would I recommend it to people? Well... I would say give it a go. You never know. If you go in with the expectation this is a game from 1995, uh, some weird design choices, and as I said, with things that I said before, you might like it, you might not like it, but overall I had fun with this game. Uh, I've heard that Phantasmagoria 2 is better, so I'm looking forward to playing that. But if you are interested in this game, you can get this game on GOG. Um, and, uh, and yeah... Uh, I overall had a lot of fun, and yeah, sure, why not? You can ch check it out, it's not too expensive, and there are always walkthroughs and the in-game hint system.
for my spoiler recap so just a quick warning if you have not yet played this game then i would uh as i said it's not the best game maybe not even the best horror game but i would recommend that people check it out uh it's a game by roberta williams it is an important game in the industry uh so and i had fun with it overall so i would uh recommend that uh people check it out um and uh yeah so quick warning that there will be spoilers um so uh let's get to it here is first of all a recap and then i'll talk a little bit more uh detail about some of the spoiler scenes and my thoughts on them so we left off my non-spoiler recap uh with don having been possessed and his wife adrian uh who's really the cause of him being possessed uh, she went to investigate by uh exploring more of the house talking to some of the townspeople and trying to find a way to uh help don and find out what was going on and maybe find out uh yet yeah, the reason why all of this is happening and maybe put the demon back um so to do that she'll need to talk to some characters in the town and she'll need to as it explore the house and one of the characters who she meets is malcolm uh, he's a very old man at this stage and he gives her some more information and to talking to him once you do get to talk to him and to exploring the house you find out more about the previous owner who we've spoken about quite a few times already zoltan karnovash who is Carno? Now he was a magician, um, an escape artist, an illusionist, and we find out that he was married five times, and he lived in the 1800s. Now all of his wives and his two-year-old daughter, well, two of them died under mysterious circumstances, and two of them disappeared under mysterious circumstances, uh, and uh, I'll talk more about that. Uh, all of, well, their deaths um on the patreon uh channel we'll be talking about as i said the, the most gruesome death uh on in the game uh so he was married five times uh, we find out that he was possessed by something called the entity and malcolm tells us exactly what happened that as a child uh when malcolm was a child he saw that um, his uh, fifth wife Marie was well basically having an affair with Gaston Warwick and they tried to kill him uh, with one of his illusions they set his head on fire he survived he came back though with a vengeance and he um, well he tried to kill Gaston and then he tried to kill Marie but Gaston uh, to got up and he stabbed him with a sword he and uh carno was then crawling back with the book which uh had the entity and he then died and the entity then left him so then malcolm still as a child picked up the book and he put it back into the box and put it on the altar and he closed up the altar hoping that nobody would find it now as we know in the present day adrienne found the altar found a book she released a demon uh which went to don uh don was more aggressive um there was as i mentioned as well the rape scene um and so she needs to uh find out uh just how 
she can help him. So toward the end, when he's acting basically like a maniac, we see her. She's packing up. She's leaving. She had tried to get him to leave with her, but he basically refused. And he got very angry and stormed off. But then she decides, well, look, she's still her husband. This isn't really his fault. So she uh, wants to try and save him. Uh, Malcolm tells her she needs four different objects, including a crucifix and three other things. And she needs to say uh, basically an incantation uh, with the book and on the altar. But before she can do all this, she is captured by Don. And he then straps her into the same chair that Carno had strapped Marie. And he is going to kill her with the swinging axe. Uh, so you need to escape. And if you do, um, the only way to escape then is by Adrienne releasing the axe and killing her husband, uh, Don. Now, the entity then escapes and it chases Adrian down to the house down through the secret passages she then finds the altar and she has the book with her she puts the book on the altar and the entity is closing in on her but before it can she then puts all the objects on the book and she uh, gives the incantation and she then puts the entity back into the book and like Malcolm she closes up this room this altar and leaves the house all bloodied and I'm sure traumatized after what had happened uh, everybody else died by the way in the game well everyone not in the town but in the house so the um, the poor cat Spaz uh, Harriet and her son Cyrus Don as we mentioned and the poor telephone man whose name I've forgotten Mike I think his name is yes Mike uh, he was completely innocent. He just came to fix the phone and then he was in the wrong place, wrong time, and he got killed by Don. Uh, but Adrienne is the only one who survives and then it uh, the game ends. It is over. It is game over. And that is it. So, spoiler-filled review. Uh, it won't be too long now. Just talk about some of the scenes. First of all, the gore. Yes, it does get very gory especially towards the end some might say excessively so but it, i mean as a, it is quite funny at times uh just how grotesque it is um when characters are sliced open and uh, really gruesome murders that carno the way that carno murders his wives um that it's horrifying but quite comical as well and then when you have um, Don chasing you with the prosthetic, that gets more and more gruesome. Uh, again, it's quite comical as well, but it is quite intense as well. And I suppose the last thing that I wanted to say, spoiler filled, is um, the rape scene that caused quite a lot of controversy at the time the game was released. So for those who haven't seen it, uh, it is a bit of chapter four, um adrienne is um well stroke is brushing her hair in front of a mirror and don comes up and first of all he seduces her and at first she's trying to pull away and then she uh she she does consent but then he gets more aggressive and you can see that she's not enjoying it and she's trying to pull away but he still forces himself on her and uh she ends up crying and when he finishes uh, he walks away and now I know people have said that this is quite 
tame in comparison to modern days um what we see in modern day and you could say that but um i guess rape scene is still going to be traumatic for people by its very nature i suppose the question is is it done tastefully well was it necessary now roberto williams believed that this scene would be removed um because it was so controversial and she believed that sierra uh, wouldn't want to keep it but she was adamant that uh, it stay in the game uh, because it really shows just how far Don has come how um, how much he's been possessed by the demon and difference between him at the beginning of this game as a loving husband to what he has become and it, as she said this is the turning point uh, in the game and adrian realizes just how bad he has become my own thoughts i can see where roberto's coming from it i don't think it's um completely gratuitous i think that there is a story reason for it i mean the game you could have done without it i guess um and i suppose nowadays there would probably be a content warning um so yeah i i mean i don't think this the game would have been worse off if it hadn't been in it but i do get where Roberto was coming from, that it was necessary. It's not nice to see. It, it is a very unpleasant scene. Um, but as Roberto said, it does kind of show just how far, um, how bad he has become um, after being possessed. So, yeah, look, it's a very short scene. Uh, if you're still listening, if you haven't played it, well, um, I, I would say, I mean, of course, it depends on everyone's situation, but I would say don't let this... Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a long scene, it's not a bad scene, and it's not as graphic as other such scenes could be, but of course it could still be traumatic, uh, as I said, by its very nature. So, yeah, look, my my, my own feelings, they're a bit mixed. Um, I can understand Roberta, and I agree with some extent, it certainly does show uh, how, how bad he's become, but maybe there could have been other ways to show it without it being so, I don't know, so graphic. Well, it's not that graphic, but without this scene being included uh and a game i don't think would have suffered too much if it hadn't been included but look it's there and i think uh just about it does uh uh just it meet its objectives or roberta's objectives um but uh but yeah so i think i've covered a lot of this game um that is uh well that is that is it, I guess, for, for this very special Halloween episode. Um, if you want to hear more, um, an extra part of this, as I mentioned on Patreon, you can hear me talk in more detail about the murders and the deaths in this game. Uh, I was saying what I think are the most gruesome, what I think are my personal, I don't know, say favorite, but hey, it is Halloween in this game, I might say. So they were quite comical. Um, and so I'll be talking even more about Phantasmagoria in in the Patreon. But for everyone else, uh, if you got this far, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, happy Halloween to everywhere to everyone wherever you are in the world. Um, you can still you can rate and review this podcast. You can, as I mentioned, join us on Patreon.com forward slash Adventure Games Podcast if you wanted to help us out and uh, rate and review if you enjoyed this podcast uh, there's still plenty more to come uh, there will be uh, a new mini series called winter odyssey journeys through the cold 
where I will be traveling to some of the most remote and coldest locations in the world through adventure games. It will be a virtual journey and I will basically be talking about uh, adventure games set in the most remote, coldest locations such as the Arctic, uh, Alaska, Antarctic, uh, Northern Canada and uh and it'll be a fun thing hopefully over the winter months that people and hopefully you can find some games uh there that uh might be free that you might enjoy that you can play while you're cozy at home so keep an eye out on that so subscribe if you haven't subscribed we're everywhere you listen to podcasts and uh yeah i better finish now this has been quite a long episode so um so thank you very much to everyone for listening and uh, here is a little bit of the final song uh, that appears in at the end of Phantasmagoria. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so take care, everyone. Uh, happy Halloween. Trick or treat. I hope everyone gets candy. And, uh, and yeah, until next time. So take care, everyone. Goodbye. adventure games podcast then please subscribe rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts please leave a review on itunes if you can as every review helps and reviews will help get the word out especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast now you can also follow me on social media you can follow me on twitter at Advent Game Pod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a adventure game developer or adventure game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you